Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. I'm an ASC cinematographer, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about something. Getting started in this industry is almost impossible. And my wife, Lydia, and I, 14 years ago, created a resource called Filmmakers Academy to make it possible. We saw a lot of gatekeeping in this industry and not a lot of sharing knowledge. So we wanted to pull back the curtain, give you confidence, teach you all the necessary skills to be an amazing, successful filmmaker, and package it all on this online resource that you have at your fingertips, on set, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever it is. So we're going to give you $50. So if you go into the show notes, click the link, and hit the promo code FAPOD50, you're going to get $50 on your first year of an all-access membership. And I cannot wait for you to join our immense and immersive community at Filmmakers Academy, where we network, we share knowledge, we just bond as this huge filmmaking uh, resource to ignite your creativity and push you beyond your boundaries. I cannot wait to see you in the Academy, and let's get to the podcast. In this episode of Finding the Frame, we have producer and CEO of Artifact Content, Jamie Ranta here, stopping by to talk about what it's like to be a producer in this industry, figuring out how to manage your next job, working with the crew, and just being the best person that can lead the team. going on everyone welcome back for another episode of finding the frame super excited because we have an fa mentor here jamie ranta who is also a grammy award nominated producer she's a ceo of artifact content you might know her for some projects like peaches by justin bieber WAP by Cardi B featuring Meg Thee Stallion. She was also the executive producer on If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power by Halsey. She recently dropped a new music video called Candy Necklace by Lana Del Rey. How's it going? Hi, good, good. How are you? It's been amazing. It's been an exciting year so far. Finding the frame has been so great, but it's awesome to have you back on. We were actually just talking about you were one of the original episodes of Finding the Frame before it was ever what it's become today. And it's excited to like have you back and hear what's going on in your life. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. And I saw like the last couple of episodes and, you know, I'm like, oh, I love these guys. I'm super excited. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Kind of again. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always great. You've been so integral to our platform, growing this whole thing, being a mentor, just giving back your education. So it's exciting to be able to talk in this long form version and just get into what everything's going on. And I guess just to paint a background on where you came from, I know you grew up in Ohio. I'd love to talk about your journey and what that looked like before becoming a producer. Okay. So Ohio, um, actually a lot of people are like, oh, so you grew up on the cornfields? And it's like, I didn't. I grew up in a city in Ohio. Uh, I don't know about the cornfield vibe, but love it for, for that. <laughs> um, Ohio is, I think, a, it's the birthplace of creativity. You just get so bored that you, <laughs> you want to do something, you know, with your life. You're like, I, I got to get out of here. Um, but it's also nice to just, it's a very peaceful place. Um, 
I started my career with a science uh, major. And one day I was just like super overwhelmed. I wasn't able to get into the astronaut program or the Air Force like I had planned. I wanted to be just like fighter pilot, um, which is so opposite of everything that I do today. So it's it's interesting. Um, and uh, I was in like a general education class and one of my uh, colleagues. So I was like, what do you do? I was having like an existential crisis. And I was like, so what do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm a filmmaker. And I was like, fine, I'll do that. Um, and then I ended up falling like absolutely in love with filmmaking, with the creative process, with the storytelling process. And I, and I ended up going to school for cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather was a photographer and I was like obsessed with playing with cameras growing up. So it's kind of like, okay, Instead of being so far-fetched, because when you think of Hollywood, you're like, oh, I don't know anybody out there. It's so far-fetched. It's so um, just like so distant in what I thought that I could do that I didn't even want to try it um, at first. But, you know, the more you like piece things together and the more I learned about, you know, um, the filmmaking process and about the cameras and how they work and started like doing my own small little projects and tests and things, I was like, okay, we're one step closer to to what could be. Um, and then honestly, looking back is very humbling. I'm like, I, sometimes I'm like, I have no idea how I got here. Um, but I do. It's, you know, having uh, resilience and, and staying focused and self-discipline and, and your eye on a, on a goal. And, um, and I'm not even, I'm feel like I'm just beginning. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. where did you first start practicing filmmaking? Were you still in school? Because I know eventually you transitioned to the Los Angeles market. Mm-hmm. Where were you and what were kind of like the first projects that you started getting your hands involved with? Honestly, I started while I was going to school for science, um, kind of. I did uh, photography, had a studio a friend of, with a friend of mine, a portrait palace shout out. Um, <laughs> we did like senior portraits and like, you know, newborn, like Ann Gettys type of like digital photography with Photoshop. And we were like the first, I'm dating myself, but we were like one of the first uh, photo studios that had digital photography. Uh, we read the book Digital Photography for Dummies and we're like, oh, now we're masters of digital <laughs> photography. Um, <laughs> like awesome. like literally doing Photoshop elements, um, which turned into, you know, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously making a career out of this and, you know, this, you know, I guess I can do film because this guy's a filmmaker and it's kind of similar to photography. And then I started doing like, you know, local commercials. I have a couple of them I'll have to share with you sometime. They're really, that sounds awesome. really funny. Um, yeah, we thought we were big shots doing, you know, the pe- local pizza joint. Um, so that was fun. But, you know, we I learned a lot about like, commercial, uh, you know, storytelling and getting it done in a short amount of time. So. And when did you start to think, okay, I really want to be in the film industry? It seems like cinematography or being in the photography ends mm-hmm. working out. When did you decide, all right, I want to switch into a bigger market? Because eventually I know you said you started working for a rental house. And was that in Los Angeles? Yeah. So um, I had all these I, – I, I would say that initial experience in a general ed class where I switched to film, that's when I was like, all right, I'm doing film. Um, the process took a lot longer than I had thought. I thought, okay, overnight, then I'm going to go there and do the thing. That, that was not how it went down. Um, 
when I got out to LA, I had no money, no connections, no job. And I was like looking at Craigslist ads and trying to get on set. I did central casting as a background actor just so I could like meet crew members and, and, and pay, pay rent. Um, got a job at a rental house, which was such a big come up for me. Honestly, I'm so grateful that they hired me and they took, they took that chance on a, on a young, a young filmmaker. Um, and I got to QC the cameras and I learned about, you know, you know, how, how they, um, uh, QC the lenses and, and calibrate everything and learning all the equipment. And, you know, if like you can get production insurance, uh, they'd let me take the camera package out on a weekend for for no at no cost for being employee, and that was super helpful to like learn about exposure and 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 timings and stuff like that. And and you know some of my own smaller projects that I wanted to produce um, was honestly because of my experience at that you know the rental house. So I really I honestly I owe a lot of like my career to those humble beginnings, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love, you know, kind of hopping into where you are today. Mm-hmm. When we're working together, you know a lot about of camera. You're not just mm-hmm. a producer that kind of knows the logistics on how to run a production. You're actually pretty savvy when it comes to the tech end of things. And I know just based on conversations that we've had, just mm-hmm. being able to collaborate with the cinematographer, mm-hmm. you know how to help them or you know to, how to help the people that are actually getting the project made to get what they need. And I think that's a really unique start for you starting at a rental house just yeah. to get that foundation. I will say um, there was a learning curve on mm-hmm. the social side of it because I did know a lot uh, in the beginning. I'd be like, oh, well, I would use this lens or whatever. And it's like, right. that's not how you communicate with a cinematographer. You know, like they they have been hired as a cinematographer or the producer. So um, over the course of a few years of, you know, having these experiences and interactions with different personalities and different cinematographers, like, okay, now I now I understand like how to offer up my advice in such a in a collaborative, like you said, collaborative mm-hmm. or in a in a creative way. Um I don't really give unsolicited advice, but if there's definitely a problem or something that they're facing, I'll I'll try to um, come up with some solutions. And it's also so helpful to know like – like how much equipment costs or like if a cinematographer is like – uh, you know, I, I'm trying to decide because the budget is what it is, you know, if it's better to go with like, you know, a, a stabilized head on this or if we redesign the shot to do this. I obviously want in the best interest of the creative always first and foremost, but I am the one that's responsible for managing the budgets. Um, and a lot of times we go we go over and then I have to like bring it back down mm-hmm. you know almost on every job it's like we have all these ideas and all these plans and budget or, or schedule sometimes it's a schedule thing it's not really a money thing you know um, but that's when I really enjoy collaborating and, and being able to pull from that background knowledge I have in the camera side of things to help support um, the creative with the with the cinematographer and the director so and i think that's really good for anybody that's considering to be a producer is approachability and mm-hmm. i would love to know your perspective on that for me it sometimes seems like the producer is the least approachable for a lot of people or that's the perception but for someone like yourself having this background to be able to chat collaborative 
collaboratively with a cinematographer, but mm-hmm. not imposing your own maybe perspective ultimately, right. but have that, hey, if you want to talk something through or you're not able to figure something out, I as a producer still want to be able to be here to help you kind mm-hmm. of springboard whatever ideas creatively speaking. Like that's a really good strength. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wear different hats on different projects. I am a executive producer. And when I do executive production, I, I mostly like work with the director on ideate ideation and, and, and creatively thinking about how to, you know, award a job and line ourselves in a position that is going to have the best creative for the client or whatever it is on commercial side of things or on music video side of things. Um, but when it comes to, um, I had like 5 million thoughts there. Um, uh, What was I saying? Oh, when it comes to line producer, I think that it's so important to, um, they are approachable. They are Mm -hmm. the person that has um, the entire from beginning to end idea or producer, producer line producers of like uh, different departments. They've had so many conversations outside of like your one department. So it's important to, um, lean on them or ask them questions or connect with them. Um, and, and, and a lot of the producers that I work with are, are super approachable. You know, I, I work with a lot of colleagues in a lot of different spaces. Um, on the executive producer side, I'll hire line producers and they're so collaborative and, and they're also, it's a very creative role, you Mm -hmm. know, in a lot of ways. And, you know, creativity isn't just like art and creativity is problem solving. It is, um, piecing things together to create a tangible like you know reality of these things and and I think problem solving is, has a lot to do with it and producers you know aren't aren't traditionally known as like a creative position mm-hmm. but they're so creative oh absolutely yeah. in a lot of ways producers are no different than like a commander-in-chief back in the day for an mm-hmm. army it's very much like chess and i think david fincher has a really good quote that i read in one of his books where it's like being a director and being creative that's like two mm-hmm. percent the rest of it's like managing bs yes. but that's also a big <laughs> part of being creative is being able to manage that and yeah. still get the project like the project that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, d- dealing with a lot of different personality types um, in a high stress environment with uh, so many variables of location, weather, timing, and and it's just like it really takes a lot of energy and creative thinking to to pull off what we all do in this industry. Absolutely. So I want to wind back. So. You were working at a rental house. What mm-hmm. was the first step to you becoming a producer? I know that you were in a very like interesting situation where it mm-hmm. kind of just came to fruition, right? It was. Um, looking back, it's easier to align the dots, yeah. you know. But at the time, the reality is like I was overwhelmed. I didn't know what my future held. I was nervous and I kind of tried to just take things day by day. And I knew my end goals. And I was like, what's something I can do each day to go to move towards it. So I think that, you know, what really helped give me that I call them transitional phases. Okay. So like, um, going from, you know, a rental agent at a camera rental house to producer full time, you know, letting go of that, that, that salary or that hourly rate and moving on to like 
you know, an independent freelance filmmaker, it's a transitional phase. Or, you know, when you move from a company to another company, it's a transitional phase. When you start your own company, that's a transitional phase. And all these like transitional phases in life can, um, they're like strong decision making uh, phases. So having mental clarity, emotional clarity, um, and trying to really, really hone in on what your long-term goals are and the decisions that you make during those times is so valuable because it really, those are the moments that shape you and that shape your career path. So for example, I think one of the biggest transitional phases for me was like, if I don't want to be, you know, a, a rental agent and make that my career and I really want to be a filmmaker, what are some steps I can take? And I worked with my bosses and I worked with, you know, the owners of the companies like, hey, and I pitch my idea as if I'm pitching a client or a studio. I'm like, hey, here's what I want to make this weekend. And, you know, I would love to um, see if you can help support that. And sometimes they're like, nope, don't have capacity. Sorry about that. And, mm-hmm. and they're not interested in my projects. And But when they did have the capacity to do it, they're always willing to help. Like, And and they, they gave me that opportunity to kind of like create my own work. Because when you're first getting started, it's like everyone's like, okay, but what do you have? What's your body of work? And even you, you're like, it's not good. It's not good right now. I have nothing. Um, And it can be very debilitating and it can be, um, you know, a a little bit uh, overwhelming at times. But if you just understand, okay, I, I know it's not good right now. What are some small steps, like small bites? Like what can I do to transition into that goal? Um, And I feel like I apply that to my career all the time and not Mm -hmm. just my career like my life you know it's like okay I'm an adult now and I want to have a family someday so what does that look like um what kind of steps I need to take um you know this isn't la la land forever so that's kind of like where Mm -hmm. I'm at and I'm like okay what kind of daily steps do I need to take towards that um I think there's definitely a lot of truth with that too I feel like a lot of people that are starting out who may not have a body of work mm -hmm. don't remember to advocate for themselves yes and I know that there might be still like gatekeeping in the industry and it Mm -hmm. might be hard at times but exactly what you're saying and it's a common through line for a lot of our guests on finding the frame Mm -hmm. it's just advocate for yourself because you'll be surprised a lot of people just want to see dope stuff being made Mm -hmm. and if you're advocating and pitching a good idea it might not land every single time maybe Mm -hmm. it's availability maybe it's just whatever it is but if you advocate for yourself and say hey i want to be in this role can i help make this is there anything that you can do i think a lot of people in the industry honestly want to help yeah you know? of course that's the thing is like it's never they don't want to it's sometimes they don't have time or they have this project or that project keep trying like there's been people that have reached out to me that have emailed me and i haven't had a chance to email them back but i see them and when i get the time to like like and or when the opportunity lines up perfectly i'm like oh yeah that person they emailed me and Mm -hmm. and they're you know they were looking for work and they had this particular thing that i liked i wonder if they're ready you know for this challenge or whatever it might be keep keep reaching out like it's not annoying um i i don't feel like it's annoying when Mm -hmm. people reach out i'm always like if i can help them i will um and somebody helped me, you know, gave me that opportunity. And also to continue to create your own work. Um, I still do that to this day. I have a, a colleague of mine. He's a, an incredible photographer. And every once in a while, like every quarter, a couple of quarters, we're like, hey, let's do something on our own creative. Let's come up with some sort of like 
photo shoot that we can do because I want to try this cool I want to see what this makeup look looks like on camera or I want to have this vision of the way this fabric moves in space or whatever it might be you know um, and we'll get together and we'll you know do our own thing and we'll put together the pieces with as you know as little money or our own investments um, if you can if you can't invest find other other ideas like that's the whole point of being a creator is you can you, you're creating something from nothing um it's just you know when you make a career out of it then you can take someone else's money and create a project for them of nothing mm -hmm. you know um but it's always important to do things on your own because you know even just those little projects here and there like it starts to help build and develop like a reel for you and then it's like okay as an executive i'm like oh okay i remember them a, a year ago and where they were at and I see what they're doing now I think I can maybe pitch them to a client you know they've done enough body of work on their own or that you know you got to constantly advocate for yourself even me you know as I make this transition into um the whole uh television world it's a whole it's a whole shift as well you know and and I plan to continue to do that throughout my life is just keep you know, trying new things, creating new things and staying like relevant um, for my own uh, creative purposes, my own uh, learnings and lessons um, and also just to keep creating. Yeah, I think it's really important. Honestly, I fall to this a lot is forgetting to invest in yourself mm. An investment doesn't always mean like a big sum of money it might just be dusting up on some like past education that you might think you have down pat or doing a new project or maybe it's something small yeah. for social media but investing in yourself and kind of setting aside everything has to have an end goal mm -hmm. maybe for the bigger picture i think it's really good obviously you need to make money you want to try to do those next big projects but it's really good creatively to stimulate yourself and invest in things that you're in the immediately mm -hmm. a passion just very passionate about and i think that's what you've really done is being able like the photography stuff i think mm -hmm. i see you doing and it's really great and it shows what your brand is what the style is it might not be a feature film or a tv show but you can still use that is a springboard for something. I think that's really smart. And I'd like to to take that and piggyback off of it and and drag out the conversation a little bit more because a lot of filmmakers like it's we call it feast or famine. It's like this experience of, you know, oh, I got a lot of jobs coming in. This is great. And then you have that dry period and it's like during that dry period, it's like instead of being hard on yourself, plan for it financially and plan for it creatively you mm -hmm. know because there's a whole out of sight out of mind and it's no it's never personal it's no one's in, in, intention to be like forgetting about you and your artwork it's just like out of sight out of mind um so keep them keep people like watching keep but not don't just do it for that do it for the right. fulfillment of trying new things creatively like i was saying before um during those those times where you're a little bit slower because that will will help keep you disciplined you know practice makes perfect that'll that'll help keeping you focused and and like i said it's really about trying new things each time you mm -hmm. know something maybe slightly different than you've done before so what was this first project that really kicked off your producing career was there one in particular that you got and you're like aha this is going to be my future there's a lot that I was like, oh, man, I don't like these. <laughs> <laughs> um, is this my future? And then there was like a couple where I'm like, OK, this is this is great. Um, 
also my style, my personal style and aesthetic is different from uh, some of the body of work that I've done. Um, a, a lot of times I get, I, for a while there, I would be doing, you know, just like pop or uh, hip hop videos. And while I loved it and there was a lot of really cool experiences and a lot of cool um, tools that we were able to use, it's not like my particular taste. Um, it was really just an, uh, an expression of the artist's interest or the artist's style or the artist's uh, taste. So I think in the beginning, there wasn't like one moment of – uh, oh, now I'm now I've made it, or now I'm 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 can say I'm a producer. It was kind of like over a series of a couple of years of like jobs that were kind of cool, got a lot of attention, but maybe weren't my style, or jobs that were like, um, oh man, I'm just not gonna talk about that. I don't really like that one, or you know, there's just like a whole learning curve. And I think over those couple of years, like I was able to build a body of work for myself, build some sense of a, a network of like different connections. And I think that, that one of the projects where I was like, okay, I feel very good about this came actually way later than you would think. I'd already had a full body of work uh, underneath me before I was like personally satisfied with something that I had done. Um, which project was this? It was just this um, music video with Kygo featuring Miguel. And I had like, it's called Remind Me to Forget. Uh, almost forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> and it had um, a lot of pyrotechnics and slow motion, uh, motion control. This is the one where all this stuff is like blowing yeah. up and you're standing in the room. Yeah. yeah. This was at Production Connect. You talked about this. I yeah. did. I talked mm -hmm. about this at Production Connect. That was the first project where I was like, okay, now I've made it. And I had had VMAs and a whole body of work before that. And what about this project really embodied that for you that really had that like, aha, okay, I'm a producer. It, it was creatively challenging. Um, we, you know, it was financially challenging. It was logistically challenging, technically challenging. And it was, you know, that's when we flipped union, um, flipped to, to the, the union came out also because we were on like, special effects and we were doing like you know you know explosives and stuff so I, I didn't plan for that I didn't know about um union work as much or how the in and outs of of that and then I'm like oh this is for people's health benefits oh okay great got it um that makes sense uh now you know instead of thinking they're this overwhelming like oh no be afraid of the union um like being able to like work through all of that and make a story that was emotionally pulling on my own heartstrings and like everyone that was working on the project um, felt the same way. So it was like so many layers to that production, um, not just the technical aspect, the storytelling aspect, the behind the scenes, the financial aspect, the, the safety aspects, like you can't you can't play with fire and 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 be lackadaisical about it. You have to be very safe and go through a lot of different like, you know, as a producer, you're responsible for all these things. So I'm just like, okay, like if, if any explosion occurs, anyone gets hurt, it's uh, it's on me. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge um, experience where I felt now I can call myself a professional because I have thought about the all encompassing 
overarching from every minutia detail to the finished product and all of the, the different layers in between. And I was able to pull it off successfully and f- with a team and, and collaborate with a team um, very effectively. I was like, that, was, that to me was our, my first experience of like true success on all levels in one project. And it's a very technical project, and that speaks to your technical capability, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of producers should invest time into understanding. And I think a lot of producers do, especially once you get into maybe more of the the bigger projects, you Mm -hmm. see that is a recurring theme. But being able to understand, there's going to be a lot of different projects, but as they become more technical, you got to be able to keep up with that and understand it, especially for set safety. And I know that's a big Mm -hmm. attribute that you advocate for going into any production. Mm-hmm. is understanding what's going on so everyone remains safe because it's essentially your ass on the line at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. Yes. That's and inc- not everybody likes it, you mm-hmm. know, but it's, I mean, it's necessary. And what were some of the tactics, you know, leading up to this and even post this music video, you've had a lot of work and you've done a great job of being consistent from one project to the next. Do you have any advice in terms of strategy when it came to networking or just like laying your cards right? Maybe I'm unaware of the details of my strategy. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not like playing the game of chess in that way. <laughs> Um, I just like do what's natural. I follow my gut um, and I try to be as respectful as possible. And if I make mistakes or whatever, I, I do try to resolve them mm-hmm. if they can be resolved. Um, I don't really have a strategy. Yeah. Where did you find yourself networking a lot or was it just you executed a project really good and then the next one showed up because you you, you proved yourself? Um, I think great producers network. I'm not good at that. I, that is not my strength. I'm honestly very reserved. I really enjoy being alone at home um, and not talking to anybody. <laughs> um, I think that's where I find I get, I re-energize myself. It's just being with myself. So networking isn't something that I am good at, although I do know so many incredible producers that are skilled at that. And that's kind of like their forte. And it's like, no wonder, like they're great networkers. For me, my strength is just executing a project um, effectively, efficiently, and as smoothly as possible. Um, taking on a challenging project and and uh, and and succeeding is kind of like my personal strength in terms of production. Absolutely. Yeah. And what were some of the harder aspects of being coming a just becoming a producer when you were first starting out? Do you have any anecdotal like baptism by fire moments that you could speak to or just things every producer should understand? I think one of the honestly biggest challenges for me was stepping outside of my own self and trying to put, constantly put myself in other people's shoes because I was a little fiery at the beginning. I'd be like, what do you mean? I don't understand. This is how it needs to be done, you know? And I have, I have, I'm very intelligent, you know, in a lot of ways, but socially is something that I, I felt to be a bit of a challenge. And now when I, you know, after many years and experience, it's definitely my, it speaks to my personality. Not everybody has these same challenges. Everyone is a very unique individual and has their own set of strengths and weaknesses. But for me, now I understand like a very valuable thing is uh, collaboration um, 
filmmaking isn't just about the producer. It's not just about the director. It's about everyone. It's like an ecosystem, you know? You know, the water, the air, the atmosphere, the way, you know, it all works together, the clouds, like, like or like an environment and that, you know, every little piece is like part of the collective. So understanding different perspectives and learning how to communicate effectively, I would say, is was one of my earlier challenges with my personality um, and learning how to be um, a people person without being a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that vulnerability because I think especially with how the industry is changing in mm-hmm. terms of being collaborative, we're seeing that a lot more. I think prior to maybe where we are now in the current state of the industry, it was really easy to romanticize being the one that's like, this is exactly what I want and we're going to get it done. Mm -hmm. And I still think you have to have that singular force, maybe someone at least leading it. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you you completely dismantle everybody in the process. And I don't think you're the only one that has gone through that. I think a lot of people, especially early in their careers, you kind of see, you know, directed by or produced by. And you think these are the tour de force people. These are the ones that did it. This is how I need to model myself. And it's easy to fall down that slippery slope of forgetting all of the other hundreds of people that, especially when you look at some of these major motion pictures Mm -hmm. and TV series, bigger music videos that you've worked on. There are a lot of people behind the scenes that are putting their blood, sweat and tears into Mm. it, just like you. You might be in the position to organize it and manage it, but that doesn't mean they aren't as a part of it as you are. Absolutely. And, you know, the more sets you're on, the more you understand that. Yeah. And and the bigger the jobs are, the more you realize that even as an artist, like I, I'll, I'll never forget on my recent project with Lana Del Rey on Candy Necklace, Candy Necklace, she was like, um, this project isn't about me. It's about Bud Long. And I was like, who's our key grip? <laughs> I was like, it's about our key grip. And then I was like, oh, I get what she's saying. And Bud Long looks over there and he's like, huh, me? You know, why me? (laughs) But I get what she's saying. It's like the filmmaking process isn't just about the artist. It's it's about the whole experience and everyone's role in it and everyone's part in it. Um, So like I, I like to say like, um, we're all equal in the sense of like the PA is equally as important as the producer. I have different roles and responsibilities that puts me at a higher level of management because I have to have a much stronger skill set and seeing a project from ideation to to completion. So that's where I'm where I'm at and paid what I'm paid. But but in terms of like being on set, like every role is equally as important. Mm-hmm. The the money differences and the um, it's kind of aligned to me with the amount of responsibility. Like a PA gets to go home at the end of the day and just sleep and never think about it again. I could never do that. Yeah. <laughs> and for those that maybe are looking at your career and wondering what a producer is, could you paint the whole production team where producer falls into that just so they understand the different move, moving team members? Yeah. So um it's interesting because production is one of those departments that kind of like some of the roles and responsibilities shifts a bit depending on your your format, whether it's television, movies, music videos, commercials. Um, but o- overall, like an executive producer is gonna is gonna like pull in the job or pull or sell the show, be a part of the creator or finance the show. 
um, and then kind of like start in the ideation phase and, and see it throughout. Um, they can be very hands-on or they can be somewhat hands-off depending on their involvement um, and the, and what the agreement was. Um, for me, I'm always hands-on. Yeah, because I hear that with executive producers, especially on movies, there's mm-hmm. a lot. And it just they could have done something as maybe like made an introduction to help get financing or something and get a credit, right? Mm-hmm. So it just kind of depends on what that deal is. Exactly. And then you have like executive produ- producers, like for example, um, Zendaya, she, you know, was part of the creative process, part of the beginning, also acted in Euphoria and whatnot and so on. So she's also involved in the um, in some of the deal-making side of things with the crew. She gave them some of her points on the back end so they could make more money. Like, she's very involved in a lot of ways. And, you know, some executive producers are highly involved like that, and some are just like, I got a guy on Netflix. We've got first look. Here you go. I'm going to take EP credit. And and then they just keep making their deals and move on to other projects. So just it's it's kind of like production is one of those like there's no one right way to do it. Um, in terms of the rest of the positions, you've got your um, producers, your line producers, which can sometimes be the same thing, sometimes not. Um, and then you've got your uh, uh, production supervisors, your production managers. It's a similar role. Um, just a different term depending on the format. Um, and then you've got your coordinators, um, your account managers. Um, you've got product, you've got PAs that are set PAs. You've got office PAs. You've got PAs that are for your AD team that help run the set. And then some that are just specific for the production um, tasks and needs. So it's, it's kind of like one of those um, – departments that kind of does a little bit of uh there's like a little it's not like a clear I'm a first AC I pull the focus whereas like in 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 other countries the roles and responsibilities of a first AC or a gaffer key grip might be different than it would be in the U.S. in production it's kind of like the same um but all here in the states it can be a little bit different Mm -hmm. depending on the format right And where would you say the best starting point for someone, obviously a production assistant, Mm -hmm. someone who doesn't know anything about production, that's a really great starting point. But for someone that wants to be a producer, Mm -hmm. what is a great, what is like, I guess, a good trajectory for them? Is it just trying to start producing your own work or become close with another producer to maybe shadow them? What is your advice on just getting on that path? Honestly, I didn't really have a mentor. Um, and I wish I did. Um, and I, I try to mentor a lot of a lot of uh, people through my some people have called it um, Jamie boot camp. Uh, I'll just like kind of throw them in the fire and be like, hey, I need you to do this and kind of let them learn as they go. Uh, some people don't like that, but they're also now incredible producers and mm-hmm. probably some of them make more money than me. So it's like, you know, I gave you opportunity, but they took a hold of it and maximize on that opportunity for themselves. Um, And so I just kind of was able to create a space of opportunity, but at the end of the day, it's not like I'm responsible for Mm -hmm. the success of their careers, they're responsible for themselves. So um, I do really enjoy mentoring so they can see how I do things and then choose for themselves. 
what style they like, what they liked about uh, what they learned from me, what they were like, oh, I, I'm going to do that differently or whatever, whatever, make it their own. But the fact that they have a space to mm-hmm. start out, to to throw them in and, and, and give them opportunity. I didn't I didn't really have that. It was kind of a little bit harder for me. So I really do. Um, I do like to provide that mentorship. And I think it's just like it's a cheat code, mm-hmm. you know. And that's really great. It's awesome to be able to have a mentor. And for those that can't, you know, I feel like you've always been a great source, especially on your Instagram or just in general, you're, you're very approachable. So for anyone that has questions, definitely just like reach out to Jamie on Instagram. I know that she's more than happy to talk. Filmmakers Academy is a great platform for that as well. But I'd love to pivot to your most recent project, which is Lana Del Rey's Candy Necklace, and just talk about that process and when the project first came across your desk. And I want to know, what are you considering when you get a new project? What are you looking for attributes-wise? And was there anything specifically that really stood out about this project and why you wanted to be involved? Yes, 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 yes. Um, when Well, I got the opportunity brought by a colleague of mine. His name's Justin. Um, we kind of like, he's the one person, the one producer in my in my line of work where like, if there's a job I can't do, I'll give it to Justin and vice versa. You know, whether that's TV, movies, like he and I have both done everything from low budget music videos to feature films and television shows. So we both kind of like get the versatile um, type of roles and we can kind of tackle that. And he's the one guy that's like, I know that if he can't do something, I'm happy to step up to the plate and vice versa. If like if, if I really can't finish this project for like if I get sick or whatever it is, I'm like, Justin, I can't do this. He's the one person that I can like minutia the job to. Um, so he calls me. He's like, hey, I can't do this job. I've got um, I'm on another project. And I was like, I would love to because honestly, I, I worked with the director and the DP many years ago and I haven't worked with them in like six or seven years and I loved working with them. Who was the director in DP? Uh, the director was Rich Lee and the cinematographer was Chris Probst and the two of them together they just have such a healthy relationship and they've worked together for so long that they, that they don't really need to talk um, on set as much. You know, there's like do we do this, do this, that. Like they almost like understand each other's like body language and style and eye and 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 then the shape of light and this and so it's really wonderful to be um, a part of that train that team and to work with them and I was really looking forward to it and also I hadn't worked with Lana before um, surprisingly and I always admired like all of the all of the um, the way that she goes about. you know, creating the Lana Del Rey Mm -hmm. uh, experience. And I've just, I really enjoyed that. So I was like, I would love to work with her. And she was absolutely lovely to work with. And and what was the goal for this music video? And it's out now for anybody that wants to watch it, Candy Necklace. You can find it on YouTube, but it's like a 10-minute film with behind the scenes of the production crew filming her in various locations. Yes, it's very interesting. So the concept that that of this video is about filmmakers making a movie, uh, like a film noir f- movie about women throughout history in Hollywood, um, and kind of showing some of the shadow sides of of these 
characters like the Black Dahlia or like um, Veronica Lake or um, Marilyn Monroe and like kind of like taking a little bit of that Hollywood sparkle off of it and showing like the experiences um, and having that mood and vibe of like what, what it was like, but also um, what it's like to film and having the crew, the full like behind the scenes experience of this. Um, and it ties along with the theme of her song. And it also, you know, shines some light on the filmmaking prof- process. And I really appreciate how she really wanted to, to, to show that. Um, we ended up, because we're overachievers, we ended up doing the music video uh, which is a 10 a ten minute long music video about that process. Um, and I highly recommend not just skipping over it, like watching it thoroughly because um, you'll get s- snippets of the movie that we made because mm-hmm. we also made a movie. We made a movie and then we made a movie within a movie. It's like Inception, okay? Um, so in the 10 minute music video, you get to kind of see the film that we created and also the behind the scenes and the experiences that go into it. And um, whether it was positive or, or stressful. Um, and so, yeah, you just got to check it out. It's yeah, great. it's really great. And for all the cinematographers, it's awesome to see Chris Probst like working, the way that he's composing Lana. And a lot of the lighting's really beautiful. I think it's all in black and white. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no color in there. So just the way that it's composed, I specifically love this shot where she's walking down the staircase mm-hmm. and that just looks really beautiful. And when she's in the car and some of the day exteriors look really great. But I would love to talk about the logistical feat of pulling something like that off and where you begin as a producer. Say you get the job. What is the first step for you or what was the first step of all right? There's this Lana Del Rey music video. Here's what I need to do. It, it was a lot of moving parts, a lot of last minute uh, adjustments, a lot of a lot of he- heavy conversations about the creative and a lot of like because it's such a it's I haven't ever done a video like this before it is very different experience um, for all of us. And, you know, communicating that effectively and then, you know, Working within the budget and the time frame and the schedule can be challenging. She had a lot of wig changes um, and a lot of different looks that we had to go through. And those things to make them look as good as you saw takes time. So I think that one of the biggest challenges was time. And it was if there's any sort of accident or you know mishap that occurs, it's like, you have to revisit the creative. Okay, what are we going to keep? What are we going to lose? Um, what's important here? Let's talk about relevance and let's not talk about it too long because we don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, time and, you know, trying to get a lot of different diverse locations and to shoot locations that will look good, you know, like posted up mm-hmm. outside of a studio on a back on the, you know, a studio lot to show that big camera look with the with the motor home or the the grip truck and then also um locations that work for the movie within the movie mm-hmm. um which is is somewhat peer the movie within a movie is like a period like film noir vibe and then the music video itself was about you know, more modern day. So it was like, and how do we mesh those worlds and make sure it was, it was a lot of details that we had to pay attention to from 
the timing of the wigs to the um, the way the light falls has to be, you know, we want it to look more film noir. So it has to be like this. But it has to be beauty lighting. And, you know, what lenses they, they know. They work with Lana. They know what lenses um, that really complement her natural beauty. And they kind of like have this like clockwork, especially like Chris and Rich are just like amazing. And also Rich has a VFX background and he's always thinking about the edit and the VFX that are going to go into the project. So it's really nice to work with um, a director that also understands, you know, composition and compositing and, and what plates he needs to get like right away for posts. So that was very helpful too. And who are the first people that you call when you get the job? Is it the director and the DP to just try to get on the same page with them creatively? Or for something like this, I know in the past you've talked about locations. That's one of the first things that I always try to book. Who are some of the first people that you contact just to make sure you start nailing everything down? Director for an overall vibe uh, uh, and plan. And then location, 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 and then director and DP, director and DP. And in case anyone doesn't know, DP is is also referring to the cinematographer. It's it's short for director of photography for the newbies. Yeah. Um, so it's like that is it. It's locations, location manager, location scouting, nonstop permitting. What's the real reality of permitting here with this type of a crew? What's the neighborhood like? Um can we permit after 10 p.m. In a, in a residential area? Okay, what does that look? You know, okay, now we're gonna have to shoot day for night, or you know, maybe we don't shoot this location. Go back to to the director and the DP, and you're like constantly having conversations about it. So, I guess, what do you look for in a director when you first starting out with, you know, maybe as a producer? Is there anything that you're looking for the director to offer it at least have figured out so then you can take it and run? Yes. Absolutely. Um, it's really nice to have a director understand, have the vision and then understand how to a general idea of how to break it down. Like I, I'm going to want to shoot, you know, these on the same day or these on the same day or at least like understand if I'm if I'm presenting like, OK, these scenes we should couple together because of A, B and C or we could do it this way, you know, like having those conversations and someone who understands logistics mm -hmm. and the minutiae of filmmaking in addition to the creative is very important. Like a director directing the set is also part of their job title. They're, they're directing the set as well as the shots and the story, you know? So it is a two-part piece, mm -hmm. kind of like the film, the mu music video. I keep calling it a film because it's a film. Um, <laughs> the music video we did for, for Lana, it's like, it's about directing the set and the actors and all the minutia that comes along with that. Is that a word, minutia? Mm -hmm. It's very much it just, a word. Okay, I'm using it correctly. Thanks, yep. thanks so much. Um, uh, and then also the storyline of the film. Absolutely. And I'd love for you to talk about the process of working with the record label and working with the artists and what that looks like when you're first starting out. Because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that process when first getting into producing mm -hmm. and having to navigate all of that. So could you go, could you take us through what it looks like when getting onto a project and having to work with those two parties? Like from the beginning? Yeah, just from the beginning. I guess with the record label, if anything specifically that's tied to the distribution end or just the rights and how that looks when you're like signing on to shoot a music video. 
music videos are commercials for artists. Uh, not a lot of people understand that, um, but that's what they are. Um, and so they're like promotional tools for the artist's album, for the artist's song. Um, and so they come with set budgets and they come with uh, uh, stipulations and a lot and buyout buyout uh, rights, which is interesting. Um, it's it's an interesting world we're in. There's like a wild, wild west happening right now. Some of those things might change. Just like when, you know, Napster came to the music industry many years ago, all of a sudden everyone's music was free and they had to kind of put in some rules and regulations about that. I feel like we're approaching that type of experience right now and I'm very interested and curious to see how that pans out. But I, I will say that the initial phase of working with a label, it, it goes one of two ways. It's either... It's about who you know. If you know somebody, great. Or um, you have a director rep. And the director rep will say, hey, label A, label B. I'm repping these directors. And um, let us know if you have any treatments that will be good for them. Here's their body of work so far. Uh, I believe in them. And you have a reputable rep repping you. Then maybe they'll give you a couple of opportunities. It's really tricky because... Um, there are a lot of filmmakers in that space and the budgets are what they are because they're marketing tools. And so, but the expectation of music videos is always so grand. So it is always like a tricky, um, experience at first when you're trying to get your foot in the door, it can be challenging, but all I have to say is just keep trying and keep working on your craft. And like I was going back earlier, like keep being creative and doing your own things. But there are really two ways. It's either you know somebody at a label um, or you know somebody who knows somebody at a label or you get a director's rep. Um, and there are a few of them out there that that are always looking for new up and coming talent. And when you're coming onto a project, do you have to deal with you have to deal with the label a lot, right? Or, or are they kind of hands off? What does that look like? Um, they can be very hands on or very hands off, depending on the job to job basis, depending on your relationship with them, if they feel comfortable with you. Typically, on newer artists, they're going to be a little bit more hands on because it's a new project for them, and they want the you know they want to support the new artists and kind of show them the ways and the music side of things. <clears throat> and like how all that works but they can always they can be very hands-off too mm -hmm. it just depends on on the individual relationship of the label and the artist or the label or the art, label and the production company or producer so it's like it, it, it all there's no rhyme or reason to mm -hmm. it it's kind of like different each time and could we talk about the financial pipeline of it all and when like a check is cut. Does the money go to you? Does it go to a production company? How do you start to budget and formulate that end of just the production needs? If you could talk that through. In terms of like how contracting works? Yeah, just general contracting insight, what producers should realize, obviously any liability, don't maybe mm -hmm. put the money in your bank account. It'd be best oh, to have no. a production company. You know, some people might not know that at first. Like, oh, I just got a job and they cut me a check. I'm going to handle it from here. So if you have any insight and just the contractual and more like financial end of producing. Okay, I'm a very by the books when it comes to those things. The way contracting works um, with the labels or even with like ad agencies per se um, is is the same way that contracting works for any industry, um, which is different terms. 
because of the intellectual property or because of like, you know, the creative element to it. But overall, it's it's the same across the board, whether you're in like, you know, construction or you're you're you're, you know, working contracting with the government or whatever, you're gonna put in a bid. They're they're gonna tell you their their deliverables, they're gonna tell you their uh, budget and what their expectations are. And then it's a SOW. Um, and then you're going to get that information. You're going to create a concept with a director. You're going to create a bid that aligns with it, present it. When they're like, all right, this is greenlit. We want to go with you. The contracting phase starts. It's either 50% up front and 50% net 30 after deliverables. Or if you're lucky, you get 75% up front, 25% after deliverables. Or sometimes they'll be like, 50% up front, 25% after principal photography, and then 25% after delivery. And and the after delivery, it's always a net 30, net 60, net 90. Um, so it it's like you don't you just think, oh, I've wrapped the job and delivered it. I need a check right now. Unfortunately, that's not how uh, business works with major corporations. It's always much longer. So you have to plan and prepare. And having a legitimate production company with cash flow is very important. So like a lot of uh, production companies, a lot of people um, that are coming up are like, oh, well, so-and-so has a production company and they start, I'll just start a production company. And it's like, you can do that. You have every right. This is a capitalistic society. Just um, it's easy to phase out and, you know, not be successful, especially with production companies. It's like new clubs in LA. Like you can throw uh, the money into popping up a new club in LA and then one thing goes wrong, it's not cool anymore. And then, you know, the company folds. You have to be very mindful. And part of that is, is making sure that you have the structure and the support on the business side of things to create a space where you can take on those contracts. You know, it's not just about Am I qual? Am I? Is my body of work good enough for this? It's is my business qualified to yeah. support a campaign like that or a, a produ- production like that? So, it's like when you're first getting started, you know, you're like, oh, twenty twenty thousand dollar music video. You're like, you don't have your own company, and you're like, wow, I just got awarded my my treatment, my concept just got awarded by the label, twenty thousand dollars. You you think that's a lot of money because, you know. You're, as an individual, it's a lot of money. But when you're like start to start like doing the minutia of it and you're like, okay, well, oh, in the budget and you didn't account for PNW or workman's comp or, um, you know, you, people are getting frustrated because you didn't pay them on time. You don't want people feeling frustrated that they're not paid on time. That's like that happens sometimes. And that is the one thing as a producer that I hate the most. Like if someone's like, I didn't get my check. I'm like, why didn't they get their check? Where did the check go? Because sometimes it goes missing. Sometimes uh, it goes the wrong address. You know, there's all these different reasons. But for me, like I want people to be paid on time. That's like I don't mind waiting because that's, you know, I'm the overhead. I'm above the line. You kind of do the net 30, net 60, net 90 thing. But um, for the hourly employees or the or the the below the line crew members, like you know, as a producer, you want them to be paid effectively um, and and quickly. So having the pay structure and the cash flow, because you you might not see that money for four months, three three months, um, but that doesn't mean that the people that work for you should wait that long. Right. You know? There's there's labor laws and stuff that comes into effect. So it's like all these things 
that it takes to really run a production company. I learned I learned through, you know, trial and error. Um, and I don't wish that on on many people. It's like in the beginning of my career, I made mistakes that just because I didn't have the knowledge, you know, on the business side of things. So I would say line produce, get to that level where it's someone else's company and you fully understand the, 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 the in and outs of the business side of things. And then when you're ready and you've done, you know, you know the work and you, you have the cash flow to do it, do it. Start your own company. Yeah, and I've noticed that some people who start out young think that if I get if I'm getting the 20k, you know, I'm going to have that immediately and they go into production, mm-hmm. but they don't realize that the production company might have to front some money mm-hmm. until it comes back full circle. Yeah. And I guess like for a producer that might not have a production company that is backing them that maybe has the cash flow, what are some options to, if they do get that job to be able to execute it? Is it finding a production company that might be interested or what are some things that they can do to still get the job done that's a really tricky question um because i would not do a job unless i did it had legally mm-hmm. the right way um uh and and knew that i was betting on my resources to hold it through you know yeah. um there are going to be times where you are a subcontractor and maybe the label will directly contract. And the, the good thing about music videos is the insurance is provided by the label. So you, you don't have to like, you know, in terms of like liability, it'll be on their insurance instead of yours. But you're still liable in a lot of ways legally and financially. So um, I would say just be very smart. And when you're bidding things out, don't don't like account for like when I do short films that I invest in, for example, I invest 30 K in a short film that I'm doing. I'm going to do like, you know, non-union. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to pull all my favors that I can, um, because it's like my own investment or it's like a smaller project, you know, that's where I'll use my favors. Whereas like on bigger jobs, I, you know, then I'll repay the favor. Thank you for your favor. Here's some, opportunity with job or whatever but it's a tricky question um yeah because i'm always curious where do people go you know if they get a job and it's like okay i don't have a production company is it best to just then start trying to connect with one or at least even before you even start bidding have a production company that might be interested to help you yeah yeah i think so i would Mm -hmm. i did you know, when I, I got into a couple of situations like that where I was like, what do I do? Um, and I brought it to other production companies because it was just like and – and at first I was like, oh, they're taking all this money from me out of the budget. And it's like, no, now that I'm older and I'm experienced, I'm like, no, it's just called P&W. It's called taxes. It's called SDI, FDI. I didn't account for financially. And you have to do it that way, you mm-hmm. know. Um you know, so like some some things you can you can get away with, but I just I'm such a rule uh, when it comes to business. I'm just such a rule follower. Yeah, take it or leave it. <laughs> and it's good because you don't want the liability ultimately. If I something don't. goes wrong, especially once it's in the twenty thousand dollars range, to kind of that to be on your back. Yeah, I think it's really smart. And I guess for you, you know, what advice? If you are a producer and maybe you don't have a lot of credits, but you do want to bid, what are some great ways to introduce yourself to production companies? Do you have any advice in that 
that realm? Um, be like an up, I'm an up and coming line producer. I'd love an opportunity to um, collaborate with you as a line producer, and I'm happy to bid. I will work with people. They send me a bid. I'll review it, check it, fix any mistakes. You know, it's like it's our it's our job as um, you know head of production. Mm-hmm. Usually, is is their job to kind of like overlook and, and review those things and work with um, up and coming line producers. So it's like I I think that doing that way makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your production company. You started Artifact Content. Mm-hmm. I would love to know where this birthed from, what your goals are with it, where it currently is. But where did Artifact Content start? And what is behind the name? I know you have like with the triangle and the symbol. I'd love for that, that story too. That's really great. Yeah, sure. So um, I had Jamie Ranta Productions for a long time. Um, didn't like the name. <laughs> uh, I wanted something that everyone could relate to. And I wanted something that seemed that that left a lasting impression. So the reason why I named my company Artifact Content is because I feel like you know, creating things that shape cultures is something that I feel very strongly passionate about. And it's like little digital and uh, tangible sometimes if I do like art installation project or whatever, but little digital and tangible tangible um, artifacts of this current era, this current experience that we call life. And so I wanted, you know, I, I always think far into the future, like what my life would be like you know, um, what my legacy would be. And I've come to the realization that I'm a link in the chain. It's not about me. It's not about um, who Jamie Ranta is. I didn't want it to be Jamie Ranta Productions. It's about the content I create and leaving imprints, uh, digital artifacts, so that you're like, oh, the early 2000s was like this. Oh, in the in the in the 2020s, life was like this, and have those like cultural references and experiences. And it's about the projects that I do. So I wanted Artifact to be um, a production company where I pick and choose the content that we create. Whereas before I was just kind of like running jobs, doing jobs, working with other companies um, as line producer and so on and so forth. And sometimes running jobs through Jamie Ranta Productions. Um, But I wanted to really like make brand it in that way where it's about what we're leaving for future generations. Mm -hmm. And when did Artifact come about? Was that more recent or... I came up with the idea in 2016. I had thought about this for almost two years I don't want to call it Jamie Ranta Productions anymore. I want to call it something else. What am I going to call it? What am I going to call it? It took me two years to come up with this. And I wanted something that was simple, that was like um, one word that was easy to, um, you know, it's just something easy. And then the whole triangle thing, it's just like, I like three, the number three. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in a triangle, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's like, it's just like, it's almost like a circle, like completion, but more structural (laughs) that's awesome and what are some of the long-term goals that you have with artifacts content or artifact content do you want to i know that you said you're gearing up to do like tv is the goal to eventually go more into narrative are you looking to just do anything that you can get your claws into that really aligns with the brand my goal is always story first um, I love working with different formats. It's like an artist painting with oils and pastels and watercolor. Like, 
I don't care if it's long form television, if it's a feature film, if it's a short form music video, if it's like a commercial where you're selling a product. I want it to be story first, human experience and culturally impactful. So um, and some of the projects I do, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there might be a little controversy, controversy here and there. But that's to me, it's, it's story first. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And where do you see the future of just the industry going with your production company? There's a lot of things changing right now. Tech is always changing. I know the music indi- the music video industry, just the music industry in general is changing. Where do you see your role as a CEO and a producer being and how that's going to evolve with it? Wow. Um, so I can't predict the future. Um I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I will say that my personal, um, it, through my experience, I, I'm going to date myself. I started my career during the last recession in 2008. And so I got to experience a lot of turmoil and changes in, in the industry right when I was beginning. Um, and I was just talking with a, a close friend of mine about this yesterday, um, who's in the music industry. He's like a big time producer in, in the, in the rock, in the rock scene. Um, and we were talking about this and it's like, I've experienced, uh, an extreme hardship and change at a very early stage in my career. And looking back, it was like it, during that time, it felt overwhelming and it felt just, um, I didn't know what was going to happen, but now looking back, the experience from that has has brought so much wisdom. Um, and so now, when we're experiencing a lot of turmoil, a lot of chaos, a recession, you know, all of these changes just in the first two quarters of this year, there's been so many massive changes in our industry and so many massive changes in the economy, ups and downs of stocks and 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 crashing and and banks buying other banks. And I could go on and on about all the crazy moves that have happened just mm-hmm. in the last, you know, in the first half of this fiscal year. So it's like. The, the most important thing I learned was it's okay t- to downsize in, in certain ways. It's okay to um, to have feast. Or, uh, this is like preparing for, you know, slower times, but also those are the times where you can really breed opportunity and really be creative. Um, and it's just, it's like self-discipline, um, creativity and um, efficiency is is the things that I learned during that 2008 experience. Mm-hmm. And it took a couple of years to like really build myself because of just the, you know, uh, the world and the way it was, you know, starting out in your career at, at a time like now might seem overwhelming. Um, but if you're really passionate about it and you stick through this type of experience will shape you into being a much better producer who can handle a lot more than um, 
smooth sailing experiences in the beginning of your career. I hope that makes sense. No, I think that's really spot on. And I would, you know, to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, I think right now is really interesting in the independent scene. And people might argue differently on that, but I think the distribution model is getting somewhat disrupted. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing what was essentially an oh wait similar situation where a lot of indie studios dissipated. We had like Castle Rock, a lot of these really great indie studios, they all shuttered their doors or the bigger distribution companies like Warner Brothers, Paramount, all of them kind of dissolved those and really focused on the tent pole. But now I think there's a really big craving for people to have a voice outside of the mainstream distribution model. And in this like yes. recession or whatever's happening with the evolving state of the industry, I think it's kind of on the ones that want to really be independent to say, hey, well, we're offering an alternative mm -hmm. that maybe that might be more viable. It's still not going to be an easy path. But I think there is a, a place for alternative media to kind of have its due in a way. Mm -hmm. And something the way that I look at it is like Dogme95. I always kind of talk about this reference. I'm not sure if you know. Actually, Harmony Kareen. I don't know if you know him. I don't know if he was from Ohio or not, but really great director. He was one of the few American filmmakers with like Lars von Trier, Thomas Vinterberg, a lot of these great Danish filmmakers to essentially like denounce Hollywood and say, we don't want to do what Hollywood's doing. We're sick of these like Hollywood films. Everyone needing like a main at like a star needing really polished, you know, mm -hmm. cinematography. So they shot on like DV cameras and they did all of this stuff that kind of said, fuck that. This is what we're going to do. And I think there's a place for someone that's smart enough and maybe has the uh, maybe like notoriety and credibility in the industry to kind of formulate something similar mm. like artists of yourself to say hey we don't want to do that anymore this is what we want to do and really like disrupt it so yeah. those are always things that i'm thinking about but yes now is i mean the last time this happened there there's something different and unique about what's going on right now mm -hmm. and there's the element of, of advanced technology uh ai there's that and then there's which can be good or bad depending on how, yeah, you know, it, these tools are used. Um, and that's really, we got to like strip everything down and be like, what about this system is not working mm -hmm. and why? And ask ourselves why, why is it not working? What about these tools that we have? Like, you know, in 2008, it was also a transition of film to digital, you know, and some, you know, long-term DPs were like, I'm film all the way. And it's like in the music industry, it was analog and digital, you know, like, uh -uh, I'm an analog producer. I don't, I don't mess with that. And they're like, oh, but the digital, you know, so there's a lot of opportunity to disrupt, to challenge the status quo and to really make a name for yourself and to be able to de develop the skills, like I was saying earlier, to um, because when there's when there's an experience like this, you have to be creative about solutions, but always ask why. Why is this not working? And what am I going to do to change it? Because mm -hmm. now is the time and the opportunity. It's a transition phase in our industry. Like I was going to go, I'm going to bring it all the way back to the beginning. Um, this is a transitional phase, not just for me as a producer or as a company owner for Artifact, but as for our industry as a whole, and not just as our industry, uh, as our global economy as a whole. There is a massive transition happening. And, um, you know, 
you buy stocks when they're low. That's when you make more money when they go higher. Like, or like you create new companies when these things happen or cre create new ideas or new ways of doing something that hadn't been done before. Cause obviously the system isn't working anymore, you know? So now is the time to really hone in on those creative thought processes. Mm -hmm. Is there any specific aspects in the industry? Obviously AI is a really big topic mm. of discussion, but is there any like evolving technology that you're kind of focusing on as a producer stuff that's catching your eye that you're just trying to keep up on in the background? Yes. Yes. I'm interested and curious about um, these real engine productions and getting to experience that true backwards way of the traditional filmmaking process where you have ideation, principal photography, post. Because when you get into this real engine world, you have ideation, post development, and ideation, principal photography, then edit. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a new concept, a new way of doing it. Um, I find it works really effectively for some projects and really ineffectively for others. Mm -hmm. um, so I also think it opens up, you know, a lot of possibilities in, in terms of like how to shoot something or how to produce. It's just a completely different approach. I wouldn't say it's better than the traditional way of doing it. I wouldn't say that, you know, artifact is only going to go full digital and all these things. Um, I'm not going to – I think that it's just a different way of doing something. Mm -hmm. And I think by exploring it and experiencing it and utilizing the benefits of it, um, just like I was saying earlier, it's like it's a tool. It's a different tool. It's a new experience. Um, and I always ask myself, why? Why am I using these tools? Is mm -hmm. it, how is it going to benefit the project, the creative society, myself? I get into all these existential thoughts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, how can we utilize this into the best way possible, you know? Yeah, and I think being a modern-day creative or producer or director, really in any, you know, discipline, it's not so much maybe aligning yourself with one craft anymore either. Oh, I'm just a film director. I think a lot of directors are finding themselves, well, maybe I'm not just a film director mm -hmm. because there's not a lot of money in features right now. So I kind of have to understand the art form of being a commercial director yes. and being a TV director. Maybe I have to be in the mocap game too and work in the gaming industry. I think the medium itself and the convergence is specifically with like gaming and film is kind of showing that, well, no, you kind of need to be a director and understand how to direct regardless of what the medium is. And, Absolutely. Or be a producer. And you know what's interesting? I was talking to someone who's a director in gaming and he works with a lot of big projects. And The Last of Us, he used it as an example. Everyone loved the TV show, but then prior to that, there was the game that's wild. And what a lot of these studios are doing, it's while it's great that there's a live action TV show and a game, they don't want it to be like two separate products. You know, mm -hmm. they because they're both a little different if you've watched the show in the game. But what they want to do is essentially make the game into a like a TV show and have it all be the same product. So it's just always interesting to see how a lot of the landscape is changing and what 10 years from now will even look like. Mm -hmm. How often are we even going to have feature films? And obviously, I'm a feature film guy. Mm -hmm. That's like what I came into the industry for. But it's hard not to deny the influence of the gaming industry, the volume, Unreal Engine. AI, just all of these things that are kind of 
pushing the medium in a different direction, maybe one that not everyone expected or hoped it would become. It's so funny you say this because I have you heard that I'm sure you have that saying it's a a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Mm -hmm. I used to view myself that way and be like, oh, I'm just all over the place. And that's how I feel (laughs) with my formats like, oh, is she a music video producer? Is she commercial? Is she like creative director? Sometimes she directs things here and there. Is she just like, what is she? She's doing the most, you know? As, as, as they say, doing the most. Um, but if you actually read the rest of that in context of that initial quote, you read the rest of it, I can't remember exactly what it is. Maybe you can look it up. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's about diversifying yourself. And if you look at finance, you know, talk with a financial investor, like diversify your portfolio, diversify your portfolio. So for me, it's like, why am I in this industry? Mm-hmm. Storytelling. Um, a vi- uh, uh, I want to have an emotional pull to create a human experience. That's it. Whether that's with still photography, whether that's me being on the directing side of things, whether that's me producing uh, a movie, or whether that's me producing a music video or a 15-second ad campaign that's just super goofy and silly for a product. Like, I'm as long as I'm doing what my my core intention is is storytelling, I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. I really am. And and to me, each time I do something with a different format, I'm only learning. I I'm I'm developing these insane amount of skills, cross platform skills, that uh, I might not get if I were to just have been in television. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so interesting to me because a lot of these. Uh, agents or these networks are like, well, if you're not a, a you know an unscripted production company that has a series of unscripted you know shows underneath you, we're not we're not gonna take your your project. And it's like, okay, fine, all right. But then you go through this whole experience where you're like, okay, so everything everywhere all at once, just like raked in awards at at the Oscars, and it's like, why? They're music video directors. You know what I mean? Because they have a different set of skills that nobody in movies have. They have come up on uh, on the background of music videos with a very unique perspective and, and set of experience. Does that mean they can't be filmmakers and do long form? No. Mm-hmm. Look what they created, you know? And can you imagine being in that pitch room where, like, you got these two young music music video directors who are, are, are goofy and they're like, we want to make a show, a movie called Everything Everywhere All at Once. And with all of those like points that are ridiculous in that film, you're like, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of like ways that they shot things that are so like, you know, faux pas for a, t- a typical studio. Like I can only imagine like what their, what their experience <laughs> was like in their pitch. I, I wasn't there, but I can only imagine like how crazy that is. But the point is like, it doesn't matter if you have an entire body of work doing non-scripted or if you have a wide range of work, it's like, is it a good idea? 
can you show me you know what you're doing to an extent? And then we'll help fill in the, 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 the spots along the way. It's like give somebody a chance. That's how I feel. Yeah, and I think the Daniels are a great example of two filmmakers that understand the human mind in, the, like, in 2023 yes. where music videos are a great example of being short form, kind of having to stimulate the audience, keep them there mm-hmm. in for whatever the duration is, whether it be a couple minutes to 10 minutes like your latest piece. But for everything, everywhere, all at once, they kind of took that model. And so like, all right, we know the by like wide and large, it's a lot harder for people to commit mm. to a feature film. But why don't we stimulate them and keep them in this? And they're not doing it just for that. Obviously, I think there's a lot of creative reasons why. But being a music video director kind of gave them that understanding of how am I going to keep people in this film and mm. people be able to have that escapism, but also be in a feature film format. So, yeah, I think being able to have that evolutionary state that you're talking about starting somewhere that taught them how to be able to then in turn do a feature film. Absolutely. And understanding human emotion and human experience is like, for example, and this is the last thing I'll say because I could go on all day. (laughs) But, you know, they've got everything. They just kind of touch on all these emotional subjects. There's like the mom and daughter relationship, the husband and wife relationship, the trauma of of running a laundromat when you don't have money and having to pay taxes and, and the overwhelming. They go through all these heavy feelings that's the everything and then the everywhere is just all these crazy dynamic things and as an audience member you're like god this scene has gone on for so long but they need you to feel like it's gone on for so long Mm -hmm. so that when the all at once happens you're like whoa that happened so quickly you know what i mean so it's like they 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 psychologically were able to reel in emotions that a wide range of audience can can relate to um, and then, you know, drag you along so they can make everything happen all at once in this like crazy existential hu- human emotion where you're laughing, you're crying and, and you feel an overwhelming amounts of love and connection all at once. And you're just like, oh, that was a trip. You know? Yeah. And I just got the quote. Kurt actually helped out with this. So it's a, dra- a jack of trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Yes. Yeah. I don't like I'm all about finding your niche and 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 really maximizing on that experience. But once you've become a master of that, you got to switch it up. You've mm-hmm. got it like you've got to move on to something else. You can stay a cinematographer for years and years and years, but you need to do a different type of project that's going to challenge you in another way. Yeah. You know, if you just stick to television or you just stick to this good for you. You'll have that, that consistency. You'll have that, but, but where's the growth? Where's the wisdom? Where's the knowledge gained? You know, I want to be 80 years old and, you know, maybe I'll start an acting career when I'm 60, 70, you know, right before who knows how long I'll live. But I'm like, I'm not overlooking that. Do I want to be an actor now? Absolutely. No. I, I like to sit in my house alone by myself. I don't like to pretend to be anyone but me, but maybe when I'm older, I'll learn the human, you know, more about the storytelling process and the human experience if I, you know, step into a- acting role, you know, like there, the, I'm just more about like all about storytelling, human experience, human emotion and connection. And in turn, that kind of makes you entrepreneurial to be able to find the place that's best suited to do that. And I think it's really smart the way that I look at it, it's probability. Where can I tell my story with maybe the least amount of caveats or someone overseeing it to maybe like dismantle what the original intention is? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you kind of have to do now is look at everything. All right, what's my probability to tell this story as a feature film or a TV series or a video game? Which one is going to give me maybe closer to what I want it to be? Exactly. And I think 
that's a to me that's kind of exciting because you all you have multiple mediums now that doesn't mean you should try to be the best obviously i think everyone inherently will have what they think they're the best at but i mm-hmm. think it's really important how you underline be open to where your career might take you it Absolutely. might not be if like for me i always thought i want to be a feature film director as I get older, I'm like, yeah, the probability of that might not be the case looking at the current trajectory of where maybe if I was born in the 70s or the 60s, mm. the probability would be a lot higher to do something like that. But what is the probability to maybe do a short form video game that is a similar story? Mm-hmm. I think maybe there's a higher probability in that. And it's good to study the history of art and how it evolves. I mean, film's going to be... 120 years old or plus that already it's been around for a while so i think people need to factor in where film once was to where it is and what other mediums are competing i think the gaming industry is like 1940s 1950s where film was it's kind of a bit unregulated it's not i don't even think that yeah i don't think it was unionized back then it might have been but it's a bit like the wild west and Mm -hmm. i was like wow there's a lot of opportunity in there does it have its issues yeah the gaming industry definitely has its issues but it's like what happened to plays could easily happen to film i don't want that to happen but you Mm kind of have to be cognizant of how things evolve and just being smart you don't want to be phased out if something's getting phased out yes and not be aware of it absolutely and i love that you're including video games because it is such an art form and such a storytelling uh, experience and it actually is interactive bringing the viewers into it and it's like let's say you have a story and you're like uh, it's not going to really sell for a feature in terms of time length it's not really going to sell for this there's like a lot of mundane elements you know in a video game it might be absolutely incredible because there's a lot of time where the 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 user is is you know interfacing and they're like having to pause and go get to a snack or whatever you can like you have that opportunity to kind of like be at your own pace and literally have that um have yourself mm-hmm. uh in, in the, the in the moment in the character like you're you're like seeing yourself play this character and just because you're connected to it with yourself not subconsciously like people are always subconsciously connected to main characters in films but but here you're like actively present in that mm-hmm. role, virtually present yeah. in that role. And so the mundane, you know, behaviors aren't so mundane because you live a mundane life here and there. You might have exciting moments that you connect, but, you know, you have to brush your teeth in the morning and then you're like, yeah, there's moments of boredom. Well, the same thing goes around when you're playing a video game and you're just like running around in circles and you're like, oh, I don't know where this thing is. I'm just going to run around circles for a minute. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. ridiculous mm-hmm. things for um, – but in that non-professional mind, yeah. gamers, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sure a professional gamer would never, never do that. But you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I love that you're including in the gaming world. It's definitely a storytelling process. Yeah, I think they're about to enter their prestige period where mm-hmm. the directors. I mean, it's already happening. We have Neil Druckmann from Naughty Dog who's doing crazy stuff with The Last of Us. Hideo Kojima who did Metal Gear Solid, Death Stranding. Loved I mean, he's Metal like one of the greatest artists of all time. We have so many other people rising the top at a lot of these great production companies like Santa Monica and, you know, other play just around the world. That's also what I love about gaming is how international it is. Film is as well, but gaming is the one thing where you can have people in Ukraine making a game and people in the U.S. are consuming it mm-hmm. or wherever it might be. But yeah, it's interesting. I think 
it also really focuses on to what is the primary market or the consumer demographic, which is Gen Z right now, that generation, what are their attention spans really locked into? And I don't even like calling it video games anymore. I think interactive arts is maybe a more prestigious way to enca- encapsulate like it, encapsulate it yeah. just because there's so much to it outside of just you know, someone playing Call of Duty or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing so much of that being folded in. We're seeing big directors like Inuritu, Terrence Malick, these people that are pillars of cinema now go into that realm as well. Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. Nicholas Windingreffen, all of them are tiptoeing into what their future could look like if they can't tell a feature film. Mm-hmm. So I like that too, because it's like, it's, when you you can cross-reference filmmakers, your storytellers, your artists, your storytellers, you know, and when you cross-reference that into the gaming world, it's just like another format medium mm-hmm. to paint with. And I think yeah. cinematographers, it's really the most important discipline because the reason why games look so good today is not because of a pixel count. It's not because of the characters. It's because of the lighting. Mm-hmm. And yep. anyone that wants work, I would put $100 down. I'll send you it right now. If you start looking for work in the gaming industry as a DP, I bet you you will get it pretty quick because mm-hmm. they need people that know how to light. Mm-hmm. So To understand light and shadow yeah. and the angles at which it falls makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's incredible, Jamie. I love your insight. And I guess just to slowly wrap things up, because based on what Dave is saying, we've got some questions flowing in. So everyone in the next like five minutes, we'll open it up to a little Q&A. So if you have any questions about producing, whatever Jamie is here to answer. Um, yeah, that's I guess already. what... Nice. So I what... A couple people ask just during the broadcast. That's awesome. I love hearing that. So Jamie, I guess for people to just keep up with you, what are the best ways? I know you're on Instagram. You're a big part of Filmmakers Academy. Mm-hmm. Just to, if, for those that are members and, and if you haven't watched it yet, make sure to check her course out on producing. It's a really great first step into what Jamie's life looks like. But what else do you have going on coming up and how can people like stay in touch with you? Um, yeah, social media, definitely Filmmakers Academy. Um, a good friend of mine, Andrew Sandler, started Production Connect. And I like every chance I can go. I like going there and interacting face to face. I really I I really like to be by myself and reserved, but I but I also really do like to meet new people. Um and 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 connect with people in the film world. So that's a good opportunity. You should have your own podcast. <laughs> I think you're doing, you're very good at articulating yourself and doing like long form talk. So Ooh. I think that would be really good. I like talk. I like talking. You can be by yourself and still talk to the world. Oh my god, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, that's like the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably you know I get out there like go to movie premieres if you can go to like events Mm -hmm. i'm around guys (laughs) that's awesome well dave what are some questions that we got we'll open the floor up here well our first question comes from jameel jameel asks what makes you choose a new indie director to produce for that's a good question because depending on the circumstance it could change the answer there's no one answer um i will say for me personally um character is 90 percent of it if you are respectful um resilient um if you are accountable when you make mistakes if you are 
um, problem solving skills, I'll hold that above talent any day. If you're consistent, if your actions align with your words, I will go with that over talent any day. Talent is a lot of people say you got it or you don't. Yeah, you know, you have certain gifts that you're innately born with, I believe, but practice makes perfect. Um, And I think character at the end of the day wins for Mm -hmm. me. So having a good attitude, being resilient, knowing how to take uh, no's with respect and knowing how to really maximize on opportunities is is golden for me. Do you have any directors that you've worked with that people can research their work that are good examples of directors that maybe you should try to just at least study up or model attributes after? Mm-hmm. Um, I really like working with Rich Lee. He has a great attitude, great character. He's a more seasoned director. He's been doing it for a long time. Some up and coming ones. Um, uh, I'll put a list actually. Can I just do some shout outs on social media after this? Yeah, do it that way. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah, that way I can actually tag them. Yeah. You can follow them and <laughs> check out their work for yourself. Like, don't take my word for it. What is it. your handle on Instagram so people can follow to stay tuned? My handle is Jamie3, J A M E E, the number three. Um, and then I also have artifact content. Just so make sure to follow. She's going to be dropping some, some good stuff. All right, Dave, what do we have next? Okay, so the other question that was asked, uh, Jamil asked this as a follow-up, was um, say you're a director and you're looking for a producer to find someone to work with, what's the best way to reach out to a producer? And, and I think it's coming from a place of where, you know, Jamil seems like he's kind of saying, like, you know, he's a director that's looking for somebody to look for a producer that maybe knows more than him or maybe working more than, than him, and he feels maybe like you're a little more pro. How do you get in touch with that person? What's the best way you think to approach someone like that? Okay, I'm going to turn this on 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 you, Jamil. Um, I think the best way to really uh, grow in your craft is to find somebody and come up with them. You know, um, a lot of the experiences I've had were. You know, finding a buddy that you trust in certain ways who's interested in producing or is around, you know, has done like one or two jobs and band together and come up together until you're at a at a place where you feel um, you know enough. And then when you and then while doing that simultaneously reach out to people who have more experience than you as mentors. Um, And, you know, eventually through time, mentors will give you opportunity um, or you'll create that yourself with your colleagues. Um, Some of my best jobs and experiences are with a a cinematographer. I'll just shout it out. Rob Witt, who is a friend of mine and we came up together. We were both interns and now we're both where we're at. And I think a lot of that has to do with the the heavy experiences, uh, trial and errors, failures that we both learned collectively through our process. And I have a lot of respect for um, him in a lot of ways because of that experience. Um, I also battle him in a lot of ways like a brother uh, because of that experience. But I think that it's not just about finding people that are more experienced than you. It's also about creating those experiences with someone um, that you can that you can trust. Network with colleagues just as much as you want to network with people who've been in the business for a long time. That's great advice. 
I have a question for you, Jamie. What are some things that you do outside of filmmaking that help fill your cup as an artist? Do you have any health and wellness tips or just lifestyle or hobbies that really help fulfill you and just make your life more just rounded? Absolutely. Um, I think that being a producer or a filmmaker is just a portion of the pie that is Jamie. Um, and the filling inside is who I really am at my core. Um, I do things like I do a lot of reflection at the end of each month. I look back on, on my, I have this, like, um, I'm kind of a type and B type personality. So I, I, I'm very organized, but I'm also a little all over the place. So it's important for me to look back each month at the prior month. And, and I write down questions. What did I learn? What did I do for self-care? Um, what kind of things do I need to work on? You know, what kind of experiences did I have that seem to be repeated patterns in who I am as a person? And how do I undo what I don't like? Um, how did I, you know, love on myself and not be too hard on myself? You know, and I really do a lot of these deep reflections every month. And I typically will do it on a Sunday night weekly because it's like right before the, the week and the week gets so busy and I'm, I'm so overwhelmed um, a lot of times throughout the week and then even on a Saturday. So on Sunday nights, I kind of dedicate that time for myself to do that reflection and then projection. So I'll reflect on what I've what I've done and then I'll project on, okay, now that I've reminded myself of all of those experiences, what do I want for myself for this next month? I take it week by week, month by month, and then I do like long-term goals. Mm -hmm. And I and I don't put so much pressure on myself these days in terms of like, oh, I haven't achieved these long-term goals yet. What's wrong? I'm not good enough. I don't tie my self-esteem or my self-worth to those things anymore, you know? And, and understanding that separation is so important, I think, as a creative or as an artist, you know? Not tying your self-worth to your projects or your reputation or your, um, I mean, reputation is important. Um, uh, but in terms of like not tying your actual who you are to your, what you do. Sometimes it's hard to separate that. Absolutely. That's very stoic, very stoic philosophy, <laughs> which I think is great. Stoicism. Honestly, I study a lot of it. That's really helped me just understanding you are really only in control of yourself, nothing else in life. And you kind of have to relinquish that after a certain point. Yep. And even to certain degrees, there's only so much you can control about yourself as well. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of accept the path and the journey that you're on because there's going to be a lot of curveballs in life and a lot of unexpected turmoil, but you have to be okay with that because honestly, that's where the beauty of being a creative should be birthed. Yeah. I'm not one of those like, here's five steps to success. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like, here's pointers that worked for me. Take that knowledge, figure out what works for you, set some goals, like, your ultimate dreams and then set realistic bite-sized goals but also like don't be so hard on yourself if you don't achieve them your journey is so unique and and each one of us has a completely unique perspective and journey on this thing that we call life this whole wild experience and i think that enjoying those experiences and 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 respecting and honoring um the failures and the uh the moments of confusion just as much as you honor the celebration of success is equally as important. Absolutely. Dave, how's it looking? Any other questions? So Chris has a question that he asks, kind of related back to your, you said you studied cinematography in college a little bit. Mm -hmm. So 
do you take any of that, carry that over, have you carried that over into your career as a producer to where you kind of build in line budgets and stuff like that? You know, because he's talking about he's currently working on building a budget, producing a project. Is there some advice that you could share with him of how that may have helped you from learning about cinematography in, in school? <clears throat> Absolutely. I think that I'm just going to tie it with everything I'm saying because this is my truth. Um, with the way I view cinematography is the way I view life. It's the way I view human experience. We're all on this journey we all have a unique lens, a unique focal length, a unique filter that's completely different. Um, and you see a situation very differently than someone else from just a different angle or a different perspective. And for me, the human experience, the cultural moments that are impactful is what connects us and what um, what binds us together collectively and how we can relate and uh, learn someone else's perspective or put yourself in someone else's shoes. And so uh, being a filmmaker is so, um, and having the background in cinematography is so innately um, buried into my foundation as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, and literally as a human being in life. I, I really do view things um, my way. And then I'll be like, okay, so let me try to understand or empathize with this person's perspective and, you know, try to understand their views and their lenses. And then I'll utilize that quite technically um, with my my storytelling process. Um, and then knowing what a certain lens is, if you get a zoom lens, if you get an anamorphic lens, the cost of those things and the difference in cost and translate it to line numbers. Sometimes I feel like I'm just this big like computer, like pumping in ones and zeros. And then sometimes I feel like there's like a very tangible, realistic reason why we're piecing it all together that way. But there's like my broad and my very technical line by line answer to that question. I hope that, you know, gives you guys something. To... I think that's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. that's it. That was great, Jamie. <laughs> well, I think this was another amazing episode. We really appreciate you stopping by Filmmakers Academy, everything that you've got going on. It's been amazing to catch up, and mm -hmm. we just really appreciate the the insight and what you're able to give back to those that are looking to be in your shoes. And I guess just any final advice or information that you want to share, and we'll just wrap it out. Well, I just want to say thank you because you make like this so easy. It's so conversational. It just feels like, you know, friends catching up. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and your questions are, are really informative and, and, uh, you know, I really enjoy talking with you. Well, That's really you will all I be back <laughs> when you have more projects to talk about. You will be back in the seat and we'll catch up more. We'll talk about gaming. Honored. I think that would be great. We'll see where the industry is in six months and we'll see what there is to conjure up from Ooh. there. There's going to be a lot of changes, right? Yes. But all right, everyone, this has been another amazing episode of Finding the Frame. Please stay tuned. There's going to be more. Jamie, follow her on Instagram. She always has a lot of great insight. You can catch up on her work. She also has her website and Artifact Contents website just to see everything that she's done. She even has some dope swag that you can buy on swag. there, which is really cool. I got new stuff coming yeah. up soon. Your stuff is really great. Kira <laughs> and I were looking at it today. Um, but yeah, thanks for everything, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. 
and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps. Most notably, the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for All Access members, and from content to community and coaching opportunities, everything you need to master your craft. So download the app, and this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.